live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Good evening and welcome to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. My name is Victor Bajani, sitting in for Richard this evening, and we're going to be exploring many different aspects of uh, a very special topic this evening. And one of the more powerful features of The Conspiracy Show that distinguishes us from other radio is the capacity and need that we have to look at the world, the planet, and beyond from many different perspectives. Perspectives you will not hear on other radio programs. Tonight, a timely look at Christmas. So many images abound about the Christmas story, the stable, the shepherds, the magi, angels on high, but one of the most compelling is the star of Bethlehem. Some say it was an astronomical or an astrological, whichever way you look at it, anomaly. Some say it was Venus. Others say it was a signpost to be followed to the stable. As you know, here at The Conspiracy Show, we look at all possibilities. Could the star of Bethlehem been something else, a UFO? To explore this possibility with us, our guest tonight will provide a different perspective. The star of Bethlehem as a Christian lore has it guided three wise men, the Magi, to a site in Judean town where the newborn child was a significant eminence laying in a construct that sheltered other animals. Nigel Kerner is an author and freelance journalist. He is also very interested in international human affairs and how these interface with science, religion, and philosophy. His Formal graduate education is in biomedical science and human behavioral psychology. His fascination with the puzzling and enigmatic philosophy and phenomenon of UFOs resulted in his first book, The Song of the Greys, published by Hoder and Stoughton in 1997. This serious work on this subject is now noted worldwide as a radical view on the UFO phenomenon. His latest book, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, published by Inner Traditions, Bear and Company, is the second in a trilogy about the UFO phenomenon and its social repercussions in humanity. We welcome this evening Nigel Carmer. He is uh, in England with his wife in Middle England. Nigel, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello there, Victor. Very nice to speak to you. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Um, yeah. It's uh, in reading some of your your uh, your information, Nigel. I'm just fascinated. As a researcher myself, I've I've often wondered about uh, all of the different things that you've gotten into. And in reading the uh, the article that you wrote about the Star of Bethlehem, I was absolutely astounded by the the, the number of different um, perspectives you take, not only just on the the Star of Bethlehem, but from the UFO. Um, a gray alien phenomenon. So the history of your involvement in ET matters goes back quite a while. So could you just kind of give us a brief overview of how you became so compelled to pursue this this uh, this line of inquiry? Well, you know, as with most people who look out at the sky and see um, the stars and moon and all the astronomical phenomena that one looks at, um, you know, you have a certain sense that it's all normal there, and then we see something move a little faster than it should, and the whole world looks up and says, my goodness, what is that? When we're used to the jets going across and all the trails and all the rest of it, and then something moves a little faster than that, 
and one says, you know, what, what can that be? And then you've got all the background stories accounting for a phenomena that aren't, if you like, normal. And one looks at these things and says, you know, what can they be? That's human curiosity. And that's something that we all want to, to try and, and um, um, put our minds to, you know, um, uh, in an ordinary kind of way. And then you get this um, incredible phenomenon uh, breaking through in our history, in terms of contemporary times at least, uh, from the 40s. Uh, some argue that, that it happened before the 1940s and so on. We got this business about UFOs and, and Roswell and the whole cascade since then coming through to the present contemporary stance where we're sitting and talking um, through. And then this whole business then begins to look as something absolutely fascinating and in, 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 in real terms, uh, the human uh, resource for curiosity would, would simply wants to know what on earth is going on that thousands and thousands of people the world over with their present-day technology can take photographs of things moving at the most incredible rates and some of them turning at right angles, moving at 30,000 miles an hour, and you get astronauts, and you get highly qualified individuals talking uh, all around the world. You get this incredible thing um, uh, going on in America where uh, people um, uh, who are respected for their ability to understand astronomical phenomena through observation, their observa trained observational capacity like astronauts, coming through and saying, yes, there are such things as UFOs and they ain't of this Earth, in quotes, you know. And, of course, one looks at this and one thinks, what on Earth that configures like this in the past could this whole new situation explain a little bit better? And, of course, it was obvious to me that the big, big symbol of all was the Star of Bethlehem. Now, the point about any astronomical phenomenon is that it is incidental and it's studied and it's measured. But when something is extraordinary and is guided and says it guided something else, then one looks for some kind of intelligence summation in terms of the very thing that you're talking about. In other words, the star of Bethlehem is supposed to have guided the Magi, the three wise men, to a particular point, and a revelation was then, if you like, uh, made known to them about the birth of the child Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, this is all really an incidental uh, look at the whole thing, um, joining up the dots, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was so fascinated by that, the thematic idea of it, shall I say, that I decided to look, obviously, far more deeply into it for, for the technical aspects of it all. And the more I looked at this in a serious, scientific way, the more I was absolutely convinced that this whole thing was something utterly sensational, not in the sense uh, that it is normally taken by Christians, shall we say, or believers, but in the sense that at that time, 2,000 years ago, there was a phenomenon going on on this earth that was absolutely inexplicable in terms of its significance to 
that time and the people then? And how would they then relate it so that we then, in contemporary times, through the records they have left, see this business? Oh, I, I see. I mean yeah, now. Yeah. And, of course, as a, uh, I've always kind of thought outside the box. I mean, I really think that the best way to ignorance is to actually get yourself PhDs by sticking yourself in some kind of tunnel and looking straight ahead. <laughs> and the greatest discoverers of the most interesting things, in fact, were, in fact, people who were outside the box. So I had an instinct to look at this, perhaps because I'm, I'm also a rebel by nature, and I don't like the party view, so to speak, mm -hmm. because often the truth lies outside the party view. I'm, I'm, it's been my experience, at least in life, that that's, that's the case. And, of course, in this, in this instance, it was so central because it actually spoke about the verity of the entire religious ethic or ethos of Christianity. Very, very compelling. The, 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 the whole experience was a, a deeply compelling thing. And so I, I, I decided to, to actually check for myself that the astronomical side of it was really something that was not really... Uh, um, if you like, verified with any kind of certainty. People said it could be this, it could be that, and so on, as, you, as, as your introduction said. Mm -hmm. And then when the new stance of, in, 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 in our modern day terms arrived about UFOs and people began to see that this world is now having to take on a phenomenon that's outside what is normally what we'd, we'd look at, to me, it became more and more um, convincing that we were looking at something incredible about the Christian story that is not actually the party line given uh, by most, right. shall we say, Christian believers. Yeah. That this could be something extremely interesting, and, and, and to that end, I, I think um, um, when, when I applied all the criterions I discovered to my research, I came to the conclusion that it was quite likely that this business of being a, a, a spaceship may well, an alien or some kind of craft, may well have been true. Well, 2,000 years ago, of course, they didn't have planes. They of didn't have balloons, right. <laughs> if you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah, particularly balloons yeah. that glowed in the dark. Mm -hmm. And particularly the balloons that went in a cogent line that brought these so-called um, major who were incidentally accepted as, as the scientists of the time, mm -hmm. they're using astrology and mathematics and so on, they were the very well-educated people and had a great reputation, the school from which they came, had a great reputation for, for actually verifying things and measuring things and so on. So I, I, there you are. There's a, another situation here where something extraordinary had appeared in the sky and the people at that time were saying, hang on a minute, this is not normal. Right. And so, you know, they yeah. Yeah. wanted to find out through their curiosity, rather like our astronomers do now, <laughs> our astronauts do now by going out into space and other, plan uh, and other uh, planetary bodies like the moon and so on. Well, here was a situation where maybe we had the equivalent taking place 2,000 years ago. Right. Now, the Magi, I think, were, in fact, as I said, representative of out of the box. What is this? This doesn't actually marry with astronomical data as they would have had up to that time. So in following the star, it wasn't the star making them follow it. It was them following the star of to course. find out what on earth right. the star might have been. And then when the star came 
and settled itself over a particular spot and did not move, it obviously could not be seen as the normal astronomical bodies that have a constant movement to, to the firmament, so to speak, if you say what I mean. And so the whole point was that these guys noticed, hello, there was something strange going on here. So what took this incredible light that moved in the sky in a particular direction that to these people probably seemed to be, in some sense, intelligently moved of itself rather than in terms of the, the whole harmonic of the universe, if, if I can put it that way. Right. And the entire thing then began to present itself as something absolutely terrific in terms of interest value, you know, for, I think, uh, the contemporary stance of looking at religion. And, 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 of course, that was my job. I was looking at religion and so on. So the Tsar of Bethlehem came, if you like, became, if you like, a salutary light in the sky for lighting me up and trying to find out something absolutely incredible that uh, took, has taken me, in fact, three books to actually write. Just to make sense story. of it, right, yeah. Now, if, if, yeah, if I could just, um, looking at their, their perspective, I mean, these, these three uh, individuals, uh, they, they, they seem to have been compelled to, um, to, to leave where they were to go and either seek out, um, you know, the, the stable birth or they saw it to begin with and then followed it. Um, did they did they know that they would launch their their, their journey and then eventually see this, this this entity in the sky, or did they launch yeah. the journey and eventually see this thing and then eventually you know fixate on it and and found what, where the where the stable birth occurred? Yeah, the fascinating thing uh, is no one really knows for sure, mm-hmm. but one can actually surmise, I think, reasonably. But if you're looking at the sky and you're practiced doing it and you're learned at this, and obviously these people were, they call them magi, so they were practiced in, in some sense in studying these phenomena and so on. And they may not have had telescopes, but they would have had obviously been able to see a particular body up there in the dark and moving in this strange, ordered fashion, so to speak. And, of course, if you were somebody technically qualified and technically interested, the first thing I know I would have done if I was in that situation was actually see what on earth is this all about. So it would seem to me more likely that the phenomenon was noticed in terms of some kind of movement that was extraordinary to what was known at the time. Nigel, I'll just have to hold you there for a second. Uh, We have to take a break, and we'll be discussing uh, further this fascinating aspect of the Star of Bethlehem with Nigel Kerner. I'm Victor Vigiani. This is The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. My name is Victor Vigiani, and this is The, the Conspiracy Show. We're speaking with Nigel Kerner, a, uh, a researcher on uh, many different aspects of the UFO phenomenon. And this evening, we're talking about the Star of Bethlehem and investigating how and what and why this 
rare phen- uh, phenomenon in the sky uh, took place and uh, what the Magi saw, why they followed it, and uh, all of the different very, very bizarre aspects of the possibility that that star could have been something of extraterrestrial origin. Uh, Nigel, just before the break, we were talking about uh, you know whether or not the, the, the Magi fixated on this before uh, they set out on their journey or after when they were journeying along. So you want to continue along that line of thought as to, you know, when did they see this thing and how did they fixate on it and eventually, you know, correlate or uh, uh, get themselves to the point where the stable was to visit uh, to visit the child in the stable? Yeah. Now, it's very difficult to actually give you an explicit reason for any any for any reason that the Magi might have had in following the star. But I would think that if they found that and they were looking at this object and it was moving extraordinarily, shall we say, that these chaps then would have thought to themselves, hang on a minute, this is different, this is real. And perhaps they did come from a school that had studied the ancient texts of the past and did believe that there was things coming from the heavens, so to speak, to the earth. And that in watching this particular thing move, they might have thought to themselves, hello, let's go and have a look at this. This may well be something to do with that kind of phenomenon. In which case, they would have then planned to take with them things that would allow them the best scope for coming to some kind of result, shall we say, uh, in, in terms of the verity or the truth of what this thing was. So they may well have taken things with them in the sense that these things would then have some pertinence to whatever the phenomenon was, as and when they would find some kind of answer to, to mm-hmm. all. And so the, they would the, then yeah. take this with them, I would think, and would set off and look into this situation. Now, you can understand the normal Christian story is about wise men and three kings, and they were taking this, that, and the other to this this child, if you see what I'm trying to say. Okay, as a gift, because they'd been notified that this person was going to to be, in some kind of sense, a a, a great um, person, and, and a great event was taking place. Now, that could be a kind of dressing up that came after the facts, so to speak, after the event, to make a story of that. I don't know whether that is true or not, but my take on it is quite simply that they saw this thing, they wanted to see what it was all about, in their own learned terms, they took instruments maybe to actually check it out. Right. And they then proceeded to discover that this particular thing made known and revealed something, not in its own terms, uh, that it did this. It it didn't actually do this out of its own kind of auspice, but that they then discovered when it stood still suddenly that there was some kind of situation going on here that was rather interesting, and there was a baby born. Did they know know what they were looking for? And this baby was discovered, sorry. Did they know what they were looking for? No, I don't. I don't think that, the, um, in my terms of reference, I don't think they knew they were looking for a baby as mm-hmm. such. I believe that the Star of Bethlehem may well have been a mechanism that actually was, in its own terms, observing a strange and wonderful baby being born. Now, that part I'm absolutely certain about, in my own terms of research, that the Christ Child was something that 
was celebrated and known about in, in, in terms of the situation in Bethlehem at the time. And, but, and the prophecies also. Pardon? And the prophecies also. And the prophecies were alluding to that, so mm-hmm. in as much as that is, that is true, I believe that the Christ child and the, 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 the point of, of, of its birth was significant at that time. I think when these three magi came along and saw this thing, this phenomenon moving, they then that kind of amplified this entire story and wove the whole thing into one single schematic. And I think that then took on a storyline that we get to the present day. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that I'm absolutely certain about was that the object in the sky itself had nothing direct to do with the three men that followed it. And the object in the sky was in fact curious as to what and who this phenomenon was uh, described in terms of the child Jesus Christ. I believe that what was in the sky was in fact something that saw the birth of this particular child to be the greatest possible threat to it itself. Did you see what I'm trying to say? You're saying a threat? And I think in as much as that is so, the mm-hmm. whole story explodes into a very, very interesting scenario after that. So are you saying that that object was looking at the the actual birth as a... You used the word threat. Now, I'm not... Is that what you said? Well, I believe that the object that the object was, in fact, an extraterrestrial I mechanism. I believe that the things that operated that object were, in fact, the things that the baby came to warn the world about. I see. The other way around, quite okay. the other way around. I believe that Jesus Christ, in fact, his entire mission on the earth was, in fact, connected to the present stance of what's going on in the world. You know, this this business about man shall walk as machine and how technology seems to be taking people over and that we will, you know, some people say that in, in, the, in, in the near future there will be um, uh, us trans uh, morphing into kinds of half machines, half men. And I believe that the, the earth and that light that was guiding, that was moving across the sky, that was intricately guiding, not deliberately guiding those those three scientists of your, shall we say, that the, this particular individual, this particular um, uh, phenomenon, was in fact the phenomenon that was dangerous to mankind, and that the revelation of its danger was going to come through the the birth, the nativity of this very special and and beautiful being. That they call Jeshua Ben Joseph to 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 to, to use the Hebrew name mm-hmm. uh, and Jesus in, in terms of our contemporary descriptions, and so the point is that I I believe that when the child was born, that star was there to find out what this phenomenon really was and what kind of individual this child was, and I believe that uh, there's an awful lot of evidence you know that carries on from after the birth and in, in, in Christ's life that points very, very strongly to a, an ethos that says that he came to warn us of what was happening to our planet then in terms of an 
extraterrestrial interest in its affairs that probably was going on for thousands of years prior to this. And I think that the whole birth and Mm -hmm. revelation of Jesus Christ was, in fact, to do with how we, as a species, in the future, would have to cope with this terrifying danger. So how how do you square what you're saying with the fact that um, uh, given all the prophecies and the way the the Old Testament, um, you know, foresaw the birth of this of this of this child, in terms of its divinity, uh, in terms of a of a God man coming to the planet, how do you square you know your research with with the uh, with the prophecies in the Old Testament in that in that manner? Well, I have a different take on the Old Testament to the new one. Mm-hmm. You see, the whole point about the Old Testament to me is that its final principle, in fact, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is what computers do, zero, one. And I believe that the entire Old Testament ethos was, in fact, laid out by the things in that light in the sky for the control of humankind or a particular type of humankind. And I believe that Jesus Christ came to warn about that very thing. And I believe in the, the conflicting basic ethos of the Old Testament that actually says give no quarter, take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and then contrasting that with the New Testamental Testament of the man himself or the baby or the child himself, turn the other cheek, peace is the way, love thy neighbor as thyself. I see. You've got Mm-hmm. Too much of a dichotomy there for the two things to be the same. Right. So you see, the Old Testament is more is in fact to me a proof that there was something working on the earth outside, something else that was coming to us to save us from that thing that was working for all those previous thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And I think we haven't still got the message. I think some of us might well have actually seen outside the great conflict worked on mankind. But I do believe that this wondrous man came and gave us a recipe of how we might beat the coming machine age and all the things that are going to happen to devalue the stature of our species, Homo sapiens sapiens. Yeah, fascinating perspective. Um, Let's just, uh, we've got a few minutes before our break here, just introduce us to the idea, and maybe we can talk about it after the break, um, in terms of the virgin birth, okay? Um, th- there is the perspective w- that we know that, that Mary was impregnated in some very different way. It wasn't an, an impregnation in terms of what we would normally think of uh, regular conception. Yes, indeed. indeed yeah, yes. of course. Um, now, you know, with with that that whole, uh, this is a very very divergent um, you know, yeah, yeah. line of thought, and we we have to explore it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's the, there there are different perspectives on it, no doubt. But in, in your understanding, the virgin birth uh, and and the, the way that she became impregnant with with no influence from other uh, another human being, uh, how do you look at her impregnation in terms of the virgin birth? How, how does that fit in? Well, I mean. In my terms of reference, I think the impregnation of Mary may well have been a natural procedure that said that up to then, in humankind, that almost everybody had some kind of genetic manipulation within their genome 
done by these creatures many tens of thousands of years previously. And that individuals that didn't have this genetic interceptional thing in their DNA may well have had a a mechanism whereby the, the authorship of life could in fact be brought about in a situation that is not set up in terms of animal, you know, male-female gender Mm -hmm. uh, operations, but in fact could in in fact have been a situation where women, the ovum, for instance, is an enormously more uh, capable mechanism than the spermatozoa. And the ovum has all the the capacity to make itself into a child. And maybe there was, in fact, some situation for this particular child that allowed a woman exceptionally to bring about, without any kind of external interference from herself, if you Mm -hmm. like, this this particular child. Inasmuch as that is so... Jesus never really got anything that the, I believe, you see, that, 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 that these aliens have been here and have been manipulating our species and turned, if you like, a half-monkey man into Homo sapiens 200,000 years ago. Okay. So I, <laughs> and I do believe, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I do believe that we came, I mean, we can't, right. uh, there's a story that a woman had a pelvis, that led through, prior to this, led through a small-headed monkey type of uh, human being. And then quite suddenly, the pelvis grows huge, and the brain size of the individual at the same time grows large mm-hmm. to facilitate a, a superior thinking being from that monkey man. Nigel, sorry, sorry. Yeah, just let me hold you there because we have to take a break. Um, the, the, some of the things you're, you're, you're alluding to are absolutely spectacular. So uh, let us take a break here, and uh, you're listening to Nigel Kerner, and we're talking about the Star of Bethlehem and many other things. My name is Victor Vigiani, and this is The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is Victor Vigiani sitting in for Richard Serrett this evening. And we're speaking right now with Nigel Kerner. And we're talking about the Star of Bethlehem and all of the things that are surrounding that. But before we get back to Nigel, I would like to sort of say hello and a welcome to uh, AM Burlington uh, in, uh, in Alabama. And these are some of our affiliates in Huntsville, Alabama, in Phoenix, Arizona, KVNA, and Atlanta, Georgia, WIMO. And we would like to welcome all of these affiliates uh, here to The Conspiracy Show. Once again, we're speaking with Nigel Kerner. And Nigel has been guiding us through a very interesting uh, kind of scenario and journey around who the Magi were at the Star of Bethlehem and how uh, the birth of Jesus Christ came about and what the significance was. So, yeah, continue on with that same line of thinking, uh, Nigel. I know it's a, it's a lot, to, uh, lot to digest, but um, you, you go right ahead. Well, I mean, it's obviously a very big story. As I say, uh, um, Victor, it would take, it's taken me three books to put the whole thing down. And it's based on the idea, before we get to the Star of Bethlehem, what was actually there, present on the earth, 
that the Star of Bethlehem, if it moved and three wise men moved with it, was in fact um, um, pertinent too, so to speak, you know. And so the, 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 the whole point is that I believe that the genetic ancestry of humanity had been intercepted a long, long time previously by these so-called UFO occupants, mm-hmm. uh, a- alien occupants, and that in, in terms of their own agenda, they altered a type of living animate being uh, and actually made that being into some kind of construct that, in fact, was going to be useful to them and their long-term plan for, in, in terms of their own resources, to be amalgamated within our own species on the Earth. Now, there is ample evidence now, you know, the whole thing is the Pandora's box is opening on this. It's, uh, the information is available out there on, on, on the, on the um, um, uh, World Wide Web and so on. And you, 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 it's, it's, it's easy to see that there is now a, a broader consensus that our own species uh, itself, Homo sapiens sapiens, comes from a sudden increase in the capacity of the genome uh, to make a type of being quite different from some a type of being that persisted previously for millions of years on the same format, on its own format. And then quite suddenly, about 200,000 years ago, we get this sudden so-called, the scientists tell us, an accident or a mutational situation where we get two huge anomalies occurring, wonderful fortuitous anomalies that produce large pelvic girdles in the female to produce a huge cranial capacity much bigger than the previous monkey men, uh, um, um, actually the size of the previous monkey men's brains and so on. So we have this sudden situation where a changed man type was occurring. I believe that light in the sky over the stable in Bethlehem were guarding their genetic experiment on this earth, and there appeared on the earth a baby... As with everything, there are exceptions and glorious exceptions. Mm -hmm. And this baby, this child, did not have any of the mutational capacities that these things had inserted into it, but had, in its own terms, a, a, a genetic capacity that didn't serve their purposes. And I think they were studying that particular phenomenon, and maybe there the... The, the, uh, they intended the Magi, after they had actually come across this strange infant that was born, because this strange infant, they knew that this, there was a capacity in mankind to actually produce this incredible uh, type of human being by sheer, sheer genetic accident over millions of years, so to speak. And I think that maybe, I think that maybe then the... the, the um, uh, the individuals that were actually mastering our planet and our situation here were, in fact, in a way, looking for something that could monitor this individual and find out why this individual could be what it, it was against their own capacity to alter the structure of the human species uh, as they had done prior.
you know, to that moment of the birth of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I believe that Jesus Christ came here as a special type of being, human being, to actually set before us the truth about what we as a species would have to actually contend with in trying to deal with what I believe in those spaceships is not actually living types of entity, but a roboid, a synthetic type of entity. And that I think what they are trying to do, the synthetic entities are trying to do, is to make their syntheticness combine, or their mental aspect of their syntheticness, their program, their artificial intelligence program, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. to blend that with our capacity as a naturally living concourse so that they, as a machine type of thing, could actually share the, the birth, the living, the natural process that we, as natural living beings, had on this planet. So the big deal in my story, in the three books I'm writing, right. is that the battle out there is artificial against natural. And since we are a natural cascade coming from the Big Bang, in to the time that they came here and found us, machines from some other um, um, uh, alien resource found us here as living beings, and the machines that were actually operating and are still operating those things up there will come and try to change us into what they want us to be for them rather than our own right to be what we are in our own terms of reference. We have to take a break, and we'll be discussing uh, further this fascinating aspect of the Star of Bethlehem with Nigel Kerner. I'm Victor Vigiani. This is The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. This is Victor Vigiani sitting in for Richard Serrett this evening. And we're speaking right now with Nigel Kerner, and we're talking about the Star of Bethlehem and all of the things that are surrounding that. Are you saying that Jesus Christ was an intermediary of some kind? I think Jesus Christ was... A, a, a phenomenon, and you, you know, really it would take a long time to explain the, the rational procedure to which I could present Jesus Christ as this incredibly marvelous anomaly that came as a great defender of a species, our species, and that the church and all the, and the religious paraphernalia that surrounded this is in fact surrounding a fantastic phenomenon to try to save natural life forms from a predatory kind of machine that right. is out there in probably hundreds of thousands of planets. I see, I see. When, when the schematic of their own planets goes from natural living beings to machines uh, in a kind of natural uh, uh, cascade of events, so to speak. So planets go, you know, as we're doing it now, we're mm -hmm. actually trying to make robots take over us. You know, and, and that's one of the big talking points in the future. What on earth are they going to do if they come here, if they come here and make a cartel of us into a kind of hybrid form of a synthetic machine? And us, and you know what, how people buy into this and are buying into this now. It may well be the kind of thing that Jesus came 
to say to us, beware, if they do this, they will take your eternal capacity to return, to live again. And so I think that great story he gave us when he came, I mm-hmm. come to save you, you know. Right. It's an amazing thing to come and say to a person and introduce a new ethos of, and at the same time say to people, look, you're, <laughs> I've come to save you, something's wrong with you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that would explain why Jesus, right from the start, his auspice was in fact to try and save us. And what was he saving us from? And I believe he was saving us from what these things in those lights in the sky that we see now, about a thousand on our planet, those lights in the sky are about to do to mankind. To me, that's the most terrifying. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. Your argument is coming together now so that, that uh, he, 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 yeah. did, he, he was assigned in some way or another to, to save us uh, from a destiny that, 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 that you feel was becoming, in a way, robotic rather than retaining our own humanity in our souls. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, Victor, um, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to hitch the thing together because you were talking about this, of a particular question was directed at the Star of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. But of course, the whole story starts way before that. Of course, and yeah. It took, what, uh, three books full of information to get the kind of sequence. <laughs> yeah. To, to cross the, you know, to connect the lines is rather difficult. I'll give you one little story, if I may, if there's a little time to do this, that actually okay. more or less affirms what I'm saying. And that in the temptation in the Bible to actually tell you that Jesus was not part of this cartel of aliens at all, that in fact he was the, the, an individual that actually fought them and put, their, put them in their place. Now, you know in the Bible there's a story about Christ being taken to a high place, the devil, and I'll quote you, mm-hmm. the devil taketh him up unto an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the cities of the world and the glory of them. Now, here we are in Jerusalem, obviously, mm-hmm. in Bethlehem or wherever, uh, in that site in Judea. And Jesus is taken by some authoritative figure and taken to this high place. And there, this authoritative figure speaks to him in terms of a kind of supplication. If you do this for me, I will give you this. Mm-hmm. So the implication there is that this thing, or whatever took Jesus up there, first of all had control enough to take Jesus up there. But when Jesus was in this particular situation, up in this high place, this guy then says, look, you must follow me. And if you do this, I will give you all of this. And he points to the cities of the world of from this exceeding high place mm-hmm. and tells Jesus, this is what you will get if you fall down and worship me. And you know, I have been to Jerusalem, and if you go to Jerusalem sometime, Victor, you take a look there. There are some moderately high places there, but there ain't no place that you can <laughs> see all the cities of the world from if you go to those high places in and around the Judaic area. You will never do that. And whoever this, per- yeah, whoever this person Satan was. high yeah. enough, mm-hmm. shall we say, 50 miles up in the sky, mm-hmm. right? You will, from that particular point, because Judea was a center of commerce for lots of things and lots of areas, and all the main cities of the world that did the trade that were, in fact, relevant to that place could be seen from... 50 to 100 miles straight up above. 
So what did take Jesus up to that exceeding high place? I believe he went up in one of these alien ships. And the incredible thing is, Jesus has retort to all these officers and so on is this, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. In fact, I believe that Jesus stole this robot for the first time, that <laughs> he was in fact a robot, less than an insane, and like some kind of perhaps glorified vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and in because he was telling yeah. this guy, hang yeah. on a minute, but, uh, you know nothing about your own situation because you're a machine. Mm -hmm. A machine can't have an identity of itself. Jesus actually gave that machine, perhaps a computer, information of what it was. And the great thing is that a machine can't, will not hurt you. It's not revengeful like a human being might be. Right. The machine took this as information and returned Jesus back to the earth intact. I must say that you've given us so much to think about this evening. I, I, it's a totally different perspective than anything that uh, I've become a, uh, accustomed to in, in, in my sort of analysis of not only UFOs, but, uh, but Jesus Christ as, as an entity. Um, anyways, I, I do want to thank you very much for joining us this evening, uh, Nigel. It's been, uh, it's been a totally different perspective on this, and I know it's, uh, the, the, the hour of 45 minutes is not really enough to do justice to the entire topic, and maybe we'll have you back sometime so we could uh, sort of extend the extend the many tentacles of this uh, of this argument. So thank you very much uh, for being with us this evening. And uh, correctly, uh, Victor, there's a lot of tentacles to it, and you can't you can't summarize those. Tentacles yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank okay. you very much again for joining us, and uh, you take care, and we'll we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you. Good night now. It's not often I get an opportunity on The Conspiracy Show to editorialize and expand upon some of my own research and thoughts on the UFO question. But this is one of those times. As many of you know, one of the things I do on The Conspiracy Show is bring to the forefront ideas and perspectives on the UFO ET matter. Over the years, we've had many guests on the program with their views on what this very strange phenomenon is or what it might be about. Yet, I cannot recall having a guest on the show that has expressed a view that the UFO topic might be something other than what I think it is. The closest I've come to this is my consistent caveat that when we do find out what the UFO phenomenon really is, or what UFOs are, through some kind of disclosure or government disclosure or mass contact, whatever that might be, UFOs just might turn out to be something that we least expect or would not expect at all. That's the highly strange state of the study that we call ufology. I strongly feel that we must remain open to all these possibilities whenever we look at any evidence or listen to witness testimony or examine government files about UFOs. Well, thanks for joining us this evening. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett this evening. He will be back in the big chair next week here on The Conspiracy Show. Thanks for joining us. This is an urgent message for all individuals with extremely large credit card debt. No matter how much you owe on your credit cards, the company that has settled more debt than anyone in the U.S. could settle your debt, too. While you make one low monthly program payment, you have the opportunity to hear how low your monthly program payment could be for free. 
This free information is available now simply by calling Freedom Debt Relief at 1-800-940-4409. I repeat, if you have extremely large credit card debt, you now have the ability to reduce your total debt and get one simple low monthly program payment. This could allow you to resolve your debt faster than you ever thought possible. But you should act quickly. Call Freedom Debt Relief now to learn how much you could save. 1-800-940-4409. Again, this life-changing information is available for free. To find out how much you may be able to save, call today. 1-800-940-4409. That's 1-800-940-4409. 1-800-940-4409. May I have your attention, please? If you're trying to lose weight, we need your help. We're Final Trim, and we have too much product and too few participants in our nationwide risk-free trial. If you need to lose 30 pounds or more and would like to participate, call now, 1-800-905-1021. Final Trim is an amazing proven breakthrough in weight loss, a once-daily capsule that can help you lose weight in days. It's also one of the healthiest ways to lose weight because each capsule contains natural ingredients, so you'll be able to lose the max amount of weight, allowing you to shed pounds in days with just one capsule a day. Be among the first to call for your risk-free trial. Again, we have too many risk-free trials and too few participants. If you would like to lose 30 pounds or more by taking just one all-natural capsule a day, call now to participate in this nationwide risk-free trial. 1-800-905-1021. 1-800-905-1021. That number again is 1-800-905-1021.